Welcome to The West Steps, a podcast from the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues that impact Colorado kids and families. I'm your host, Beza Tedes. Welcome to another episode of The West Steps. Um, and this week, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I think it's the first one for The West Steps, but definitely not the first one in terms of policy and advocacy. Um, and I'm going to let my guests introduce themselves and then we're going to um, jump into this conversation that I hope uh, is one of many. So uh, who would like to start? I can start. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Christina Yabua, and I'm the Health Research and Policy Analyst for the Colorado Center on Law and Policy, um, or CCLP. Uh, CCLP is an anti-poverty policy organization, um, and we cover topic areas ranging from affordable health care to housing to food and income. Hi. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm Vita Malama and I am with the Elephant Circle and very happy to be here. I am a writer and a researcher and I also do birth support as a doula in the community. So um, I have some insights from a volunteer perspective, working in hospitals as well as birth centers. Uh, I'm Heather Thompson. I'm Deputy Director at Elephant Circle. We're a birth justice organization. Um, And I'm trained as a scientist originally, so I have that nerdy scientist view on all the things. Um, And I have been a postpartum doula for 18 years. I worked in a birth center in the community for about 10 years, and seven of those years I was the director of research. So I really have a deep passion for the intersection of what we know data-wise about maternity care and um, how we can really apply that best. Great. Thank you for all of you for being here. This is very exciting for me. This is one area that I would really love to learn. So um, I think the first thing is maybe we can start out pretty basic. Um, I think when we think of maternal health, we think that's a problem that happens in, you know, third world countries that's somewhere far, far away. I wonder if you can just give us a, a, some definitions, what birth equity means, and then maybe some grounds around what it looks like here in our state and maybe a little bit in the country as well to just ground us on what are what is the issue that we are talking about here? And, and if you can jump in. All right, I'll, I'll jump in and at least give some context for um, where the U.S. sits globally, because you're, you're right. People sometimes think about a maternity care crisis being uh, in other places. And in fact, the U.S. spends more on maternity care than any other country in the whole world. And we are right at the bottom of outcomes in developed nations. So we're spending a lot of money to not get very good outcomes. And specifically, maternal mortality is rising in the US. In other countries, it's going down, including in the developing world. Um, And one of the reasons in the US that our maternal mortality is rising is because of racism. Um, Our deep history of anti-Blackness and anti-Indigenous indigeneity here in the U.S. really comes through when you're talking about birthing people and intergenerational health care. So um, we're really talking about racial inequities where Black and Indigenous folks nationally die between two and four times more often than their white counterparts, both on mother's side and baby side. And we see those inequities um, here in Colorado as well. So that's the need for even the conversation about birth equity. And I would love to pitch, if either of you guys want to frame what birth equity is, jump right (laughs) in. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) We all have to jump in at some point. 
I actually love this question because it's, you know, it can be so confusing because people are like, well, what is this disparity? Especially when you mix disparity and then equity. And so I had to like kind of really think about it myself. But once, I mean, I like to use simple terms. So when I think about um, inequity or health equity, um, you know, it has to do with like fairness. Um, and, and then when you think about like disparity, it has to do like with the difference. So there's differences and some of those can contribute to structural um, issues that are happening within um, an organization, within a certain landscape, like um, the structure of, you know, how healthcare works. And, and that is very intricate from insurance to um, having the actual care, to knowing where to go, to understanding, you know, what your coverage is and all of those things. And so there are definitely some structural things that um, can lead to either of these disparities or inequities. But when we're talking about equity, it really centers around, you know, some some fair um, attributes and characteristics that should level the playing field. And that may mean that some people may need to give up some things or some things um, will um, be enhanced for people that are not um, able to have access as, as freely or as accessible as some, uh, some other groups of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think that uh, one of the, the things that comes up when we talk about healthcare is this idea behind the triple aim and the triple aim is affordability, quality, and access. Um, so when we're talking about health equity, we're really talking about exactly what Vita was talking about, about dedicating the extra resources we need to make sure that the healthcare that people are receiving, and this, in this case, it's perinatal services, are both are affordable and are quality and are accessible. Are people getting access to the services that they need? And are they actually what they need, right? I think that that's something that comes up quite a bit in the birth equity, um, is that people will uh, allocate certain resources towards people and it won't be the resources that they need, which I think we'll be getting into a little bit later today. Yeah. Um, And I want to parse out a couple of things here because I think um, if you're not part of this conversation, a lot of this could feel like a, you know, a whole new space. So we are spending more on our healthcare. We're getting low quality healthcare, especially when it comes to maternity health. And even in that space is, is, deep embedded inequalities between inequities between um, racial groups. And um, also we are seeing that on both sides, on the mother side and the baby side. And some of you talked about, uh, uh, you know, Heather, you mentioned that racism might be a big factor here. And I wonder if we can parse that out because I think um, equity and structural racism are such buzzwords right now. And I think that a lot of that goes unsaid and I, I want, us to take this opportunity to parse out how does actually racism show up in maternal mortality and how do we have these inequities where um, black and indigenous women are dying two, three times at a higher rate despite their income, right? Like we know that no matter how much money they make, it's not that, you know, money is somehow uh, saving them from these um, preventable um, uh, deaths. So I wonder if you can speak a little bit more about how the racism actually shows up and what that tells us about how then we go about allocating resources to your point, Christina. 
So I think, and I, I uh, definitely going to defer to the experts in this, but um, just from my perspective, uh, one of the things that's a huge problem is the various types of misperceptions the medical system has for people of color, right? There's been quite a bit of research published about how there's this idea that Black people have thicker skin and that our blood coagulates quicker or uh, that we don't experience pain in the same way as our white counterparts. And some of these misperceptions are pretty dangerous and can lead people to think that uh, the human body for, for, for people of color, specifically birthing people of color, are more quote, quote unquote durable than other folks, right? And so when it comes to certain health concerns, uh, they may be dismissed and those can often lead to, to fatality. Um, and so, you know, there's stories that I have of my friends who are, who are people of color who said, well, I experienced pain. Um, and no one would do anything about it. And that ended up being like a blood clot, for instance. Um, and so that dismissiveness is something that could really be very detrimental to a lot of birthing persons at a vulnerable time of their their kind of health journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, dismissiveness, as Christina was saying, is probably the ways that you see this manifest um, that I've seen it manifest in the most larger sense. And, um, you know, working as a doula, one of the things that I did was uh, actually give some support at a safe house. And um, one of the people that were there, you know, was expecting and um, I would actually go to their appointments with them um, very early on and found out as someone that was um, helping them along, their pelvis was broken um, from an accident that they had. And it was insane. Like uh, just some of the things that she would tell me before I started attending some of her appointments with her um, is, you know, she felt like people were not listening to her. And as you know, if anyone has ever been pregnant, you know, and without your pelvis, is being broken, you feel that pressure in that, you know, in between your legs. And it continues to be more and more intense depending upon how baby is positioned. Um, And so just seeing like how, you know, this person and how they were not caring and not how they were not really um, paying them any attention. I ended up taking her to or meeting her at a hospital in Westminster. I mean, sorry, Lakewood. And just the treatment there, she was on um, Medicaid. And there's also terms that people will use like, oh, they're a Medicaid mama. Um, And I use air quotes because those are terms that people will actually use that create stigmas on what type of patient they're actually taking care of. And she was on Medicaid and I could sense just just the difference. She was very angry when, when, um, before I even came there and just the tone, you can just tell the presence of a birth support person, the presence of a doula, when you come on the scene, it's like night and day people just, it, it switches the flip. It switches the, it, it flips the switch just so instantaneously. And so as I was there, and I have to also be careful as a woman of color, as a black woman in particular, to not ruffle the feathers, to, to just try to partner with, you know, my client, but then also understand that I'm also working within that system. So that's where that structure again, and how to navigate it and how people are perceiving you and things like that. But when I walked into the room, um, people were asking different types of questions. It almost was like she was treated as a person and not as somebody that they thought less of or didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, that's just one of the many examples that, you know, that we have. She ended up, you know, having her baby by a cesarean because 
there was just no way that um, things were going to happen. But just to even prepare um, people for this type of thing and, and the type of treatment that you should be getting. If you have a broken pelvis in four different places from an accident, then what type of treatment should you start early on? Why does it take that type of um, situation where someone that she was ended up being picked up by ambulance at a bus stop because she was in excruciating pain and she couldn't move? So these are the types of things where we're talking about um, inequity. So unfair treatment, unfair um approaches to uh, clinical care, health treatment, um, diagnoses in some cases. Um, They wanted to put her on bed rest, but when you're working with someone that, you know, has children, also she had certain um, requirements that she had to meet because of, you know, some other um, complexities and that had to do with her, uh, you know, parole officer and things like that. I mean, it doesn't, it, it's not easy. And to have to be pregnant and to be expecting, and then all of the things that come along with that, to have all of those things added on, these are the types of things that people are, are experiencing um, yeah. as an expectant mother. Yeah, yeah. I think that there, there's a lot here. I think, you know, uh, often when we talk about oh, it's, you know, racism is one factor here or that's the the racist structure. You mentioned, you know, as a sociologist, I'm fascinated by how systems treat individuals, right? So that, you know, you had the healthcare system there, you had the stigma around the type of health insurance you have and the health insurance itself being inadequate to the historic nature of how uh, how uh, black women have been treated by uh, especially the healthcare industry so i think you know uh, it, it isn't just about oh this mother or this expecting person didn't die on the uh, while giving birth right but this is the compounding nature of of systems and and individuals perception um and i wonder if you can talk a little bit about how here in the state um how we are trying to uh, think about solutions from all of these angles, because I think, you know, there's the individual uh, and and we know from the data until very recently, a couple of years ago, medical students were still being taught that black people feel less pain than others. Uh, So I think there's kind of, you know, outside forces we can talk about. Right. And also, I think the dehumanization of black women, especially expecting black women are, are, you know, the bigger social context we can talk about here, but I wonder from a birth equity perspective, um, what are some of the uh, areas of solution and where are the things that, where are the places that you see where things are changing um, and where are the places that you think that we need to pay a little bit more close attention to? Every video allowance. This is interesting because when I interview men, nobody waits for another person. And when it's just women, you all wait for each other and nobody speaks. <laughs> well, I'll speak a little bit to this. Um, and I want to piggyback off something that you said right at the end, too, about um, people dying. Like this person might, might not have died during pregnancy and childbirth, but certainly suffered a lot of um, mistreatment, indignation, um, and morbidity. You know, all those things help affect your health and well-being. And so I, I 
the conversation often centers on mortality because that's the easiest data point to collect really. But in fact, we have data that show that for every person who dies up to 70, um, and that's probably an underreportment, experiences some sort of morbidity, whether that's mistreatment, whether that's mismanaged care that results in not such good outcomes. Um, so I, I do wanna say that birth equity tries, hopes to address the whole range and not just that end point of um, mortality. Um, that being said, I think any solutions have to be multi-pronged and have to deal with all the systems. Um, and one of the pieces that I think the pandemic really raised was the role of community birth in this whole conversation. And I'm not suggesting it's a solution, um, but I think it's a step in the direction of humanization and, you know, and a step back to the history of this country. I mean, if, if you really think about the beginning days of uh, maternal health care in this country, it was midwives who were taken from the continent of Africa, brought here to the U.S. provided community-based health care um, for everybody for many years, and then nursing and medicine came along and institutionalized it in a very, you know, white, patriarchal, wealthy kind of way. And so then, then you got systems like hospitals and systems like malpractice insurance and private health insurance and Medicaid insurance. Um, and all of these systems work together to either allow access to the kind of care that people want or really prohibit them from having access to the kind of care that people want. And one of the things that the pandemic highlighted was access to community birth is hard if you are not a white, wealthy person and able to pay for it out of pocket. And it's something Elephant Circle has been talking a long time about because we really see part of the shift of Black and Indigenous and otherwise marginalized folks, whether you're queer, whether you are low resourced, being able to seek health care within their own community, because that's where they're going to be seen. That's where they're going to get the wraparound, holistic, you know, that sort of care. So um, that's one place that I think the pandemic showed us what is possible and certainly showed that people have an interest in community birth when hospitals become an infection place, you know, when we're reminded that sick people go there. Um, and even that piece, it's good to remember that, you know, in the 1800s, 99% of birth occurred in homes. And yeah. then by yeah. 1950, you know, really over the course of about 50 years, birth, it became almost exclusively in hospitals. And here in Colorado, um, only less than 20 percent of folks give birth with midwives, which is what is done much better in other parts of the world. Midwives are a more integrated part of the system. Um, and less than 2% of people give birth outside of a hospital facility. So that holds true here in Colorado. And those big systems navigating how they all work together and were built together and created together um, and our very physician facility liability, private health insurance oriented, um, you got to address all those pieces, I think, before you're going to start seeing equity in people's real lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and just to piggyback off that, I think one of the things I appreciate the most about the birth equity package that the Elephant Circle has put forth, um, and one of the kind of least sexy topics about it, is the data piece. Um, 
one of the kind of big issues that honestly, government agencies don't always collect the most helpful data. Um, and before we can really, not before, in addition to the solutions we're putting forth, we have to think about making sure we understand the full issue, the wide scope of the issue. And that happens to be uh, related to collecting data that is broken apart by race, right? Like, do we actually know that the, what types of racial disparities we're up against? Um, and I, that's something that I really appreciate kind of uh, mandata- mandating some of those reporting requirements and making sure that it's disaggregated by race is really helpful to, um, to helping. Yeah. 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 Right on, Christina. I mean, I think data is such a huge piece. And, you know, I think you and I speak the same language when we talk about data and being a data junkie and that the story definitely starts with data um, and being able to track this information because it's almost like, um, you know, some of the, the quotes that people even say now, they think that racism doesn't exist or they think that these things don't happen. And so it, it's very unfortunate that we do have to collect this information, but it is very crucial to making these statements and making change. Um, but going back um, to your original question um, regarding, you know, where can change take place or where, where should, where, where are some things that we can kind of insert? And I would think, when we talk about perinatal, um, during that postpartum time frame, there is literally no real support there. And when you have a, a birthing person, uh, whether that's, you know, those comes in different forms, whether, you know, it's, you know, intended birth, um, a, 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 a mother, um, you know, if this is a car- incarcerated individual, these there is not enough support. And sometimes moms will be like, even on autopilot, just trying to get through, like, it's almost like I I can remember, I have two, seven and four. And I can remember the first year just taking babies to those appointments. And it's like, I'm just living for the next appointment. Like, you're just trying so hard to say, okay, are they growing right? And I'm, you know, I'm breastfeeding. And so are they getting enough uh, you know, nutrients to their body. And so there's so many things that is on that um, me for, for myself as a mother or, or even, you know, that birthing person that you almost wonder like who is taking care of this person. And so to not have, to, to have all of this prenatal, which there definitely are some things in the prenatal stage that definitely needs to be addressed, but to not have any real support, especially when we're talking about perinatal mental health, um, you know, the well-being of someone that's taking care of a child 24-7 it is totally, I mean, this is such an exciting time that we have for this bill because I think it's going to be crucial to changing the landscape and how we look at um, the perinatal timeframe and what that really means um, with, you know, healthcare and having that, um, that full scope of practice available to that, to that mom or that birthing person. So, yeah, I think that's a, um, that's a hopeful point to transition to the next question. I think, um, you know, when we have more information, when we understand the full scope of the problem, then our solutions are also just as diverse. I think, you know, we, um, I, I hope we get to a place where, you know, transportation, uh, quality food access um, and rest and um, mental health is part of this whole package of health equity. Um, it, this isn't just about, you know, the 24-hour window of, of oh, however long that takes. Um, and, and, you know, and I, this makes me really hopeful to see this bill 
by Elephant Circle here at the state capitol. So I wonder if you can give people um, a place to plug in. I think that we all have different capacities, different energy. I know we all maxed out on what to do next, but I think, you know, um, your 10% is somebody else is 100%. So I wonder if you can give people um, where to get involved in the conversation, where to learn about the bill and um, where they can, uh, you know, educate themselves, but also educate those around them. Yeah. I'd be happy to jump in on this one. Um, the first thing I want to throw out there is a save the date. We should have some social media about this ASAP. Um, May 13th, we are um, having a celebration for the birth equity bills. Um, it's going to be a virtual thing from 2.30 to 4.30. And from um, 3 to 4, we're going to have a panel uh, called Midwives, the First Responders. And so it's going to be all so black cute. and indigenous midwives. <laughs> Talking about how they right the original <laughs> public health. So that's one thing, May 13th, 2.30 to 4.30. Um, and then head over to our uh, Elephant Circle website. We have something called the Circle Blog, um, and we're elephantcircle.net. And... Um, on that blog, we have a page specifically dedicated to the birth equity bills. And so we have lots of fact sheets. We have the bills. We have all the press that's been done so far. We'll have to put this podcast on there. Yeah. Um, and we're really <laughs> trying to keep that updated so that anybody feels like this is an accessible process. That's really what we want people to feel like they can become experts on any part of this that they want, which is the really cool part about these bills. They have so many different pieces that yeah. if there's a part that inspires you. Um, we'd encourage people to write their legislators about the part and ask for support. We're coming up to the floor in the Senate sometime in the next few weeks. We don't know exactly. Um, so it's really a time. If you know who your senator is, uh, write them a letter to support the birth equity bill and put something in there that is your own um, view on the parts that excite you specifically. So those yeah. are a couple of ways to get involved. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, anybody else want to jump in or you feel like Heather covered it all? Um, okay, so um, last, uh, I'll give you guys an opportunity to jump in. But I think the one thing I will um, uh, invite people to do here is talk to a person who is closest to the issue. I think um, even just in the, in, you know, the 25, 30 minute conversation here, I learned the depth of the problem more than I did reading about it in the news or listening to um conversation that others have. So if you can find somebody who's closest to the issue, just listen to them, pay that attention. Um, and any last things before we close out? Yeah, everybody good? Okay, great. Thank you so much for making the time. Hopefully this is not the last time we talk about this, but um, in the meantime, every information that was listed here will be in the show notes. So uh, make sure to check that out for an easy access to those links and resources. And uh, thank you ladies for making the time and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Beza. Thank yeah. you. Bye. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. If you want to support our work, go to coloradokids.org. Fun fact, you can also find out Erica's pet peeves on her profile page on our website. Please don't do that.